Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key. And friendships are made to last a lifetime. Did you get him? <laughs> you think we got him? You think we got him? <laughs> got him. <laughs> All right, Skylar, what do we got here? to season two women of the wild podcast we would like to first start off by thanking our title sponsors for the 2024 year atlantic coral enterprise one of the largest import dealers in the world with excellent quality for hides skulls shells and amazing gifts for friends and family or even your household you can find them at atlanticcoralenterprise.com rm calls often imitated never duplicated You've blown theirs, now blow ours. American-made duck calls made with high-quality single-read and top-of-the-line materials, fine-tuned by the best turd polisher in the business. Not tooting our own horn, just blowing our own calls. You can find them at rmcustomcalls.com or on Instagram. We also have Rhino Land Safaris, providing exceptional quality with unmatched hospitality and cuisine, offering African safaris, a destination hunt, for the avid rifle or bow hunter with some of the best trophy management South Africa has to offer. You can find them at rhinoland.co.za or on Facebook, Instagram. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccroppysticks.com. Thank you. And now for today's episode, we hope you enjoy. Welcome back to season two, Women of the Wild. This is your host, Felicia Marie. We are here today with an incredible outdoors woman from Michigan, Ann Wynn. And Ann, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I'm really excited <laughs> to chat with you. You've been on events with us with Women of the Wild before. And following your story, following your journey, you are just a very well-versed woman in the outdoors. You know, being a mom, a wife, working woman, like you really seem to have like everything just nailed down and it's incredible to watch your journey so I'm ex super excited for our listeners to hear your story and hopefully you know follow your social medias and everything and, and see more of what you're doing and inspired other women to get outdoors oh well, thank you for having me on this podcast Felicia I'm excited to talk to you about it absolutely I'd love to just dive in and start it off with like who you are as a person, how you grew up, and how you got into the outdoors. All right. <laughs> We're digging deep into the nitty-gritty of it. Um, let's see. Well, I am a mom, a new a new mom who is in the outdoors. Um, also a full-time real estate agent. So this is basically what I'm currently doing right now. 
rewind back to the path of how I got started in the outdoors. So I grew up in a Vietnamese family that is super, super traditional, anti-guns, anti-hunting. Um, they were never approving of me hunting at all, but it wasn't until, I think it was college in my college year I finally stepped out of my comfort zone and started to learn about how to hunt and my whole inspiration of why I started hunting was because back in middle school I would see like these little boys in my classmate come in with full camo and they would always tell me how like their father took them out deer hunting and harvesting their food where it kind of inspired me to like I don't know dabble into it later on in life but it's very intimidating as a kid of like how to how are you going to learn how to shoot when your parents don't even allow a gun in the house and so it didn't take me until college I had a lot of free time during my lectures in between, and I wasn't the most studious kid. I went to Michigan State University, and I hated school, so <laughs> I would look up the hunting public on YouTube. I would listen to podcasts. Um, I got really inspired by Cameron Haynes specifically. I listened to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts, and I remember when Cameron Haynes was the the guest on Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about bow hunting so this whole entire time I had a idea of you know hunting supposed to be surrounded by you know strictly gun hunting or rifle hunting and I never knew that taking an animal with a bow was even an option and so during that time period I was gifted a bow by well it, at the time it was from my ex which we shall not talk about <laughs> but he did the only good thing about him was that he got me a bow <laughs> and so um I learned how to shoot on my own I got I bow slapped I got bow slapped a lot on my arm it was pretty brutal because no one no one in my family nor my friends group hunted so I would well, literally follow a bunch of YouTube tutorials and looked like a complete idiot going into like these bow shops and asking people, please help me. <laughs> like, dear Lord, I don't know what to do. And I specifically remembered that there was a local bow shop. And okay, so my life is a little bit all over the place. But basically, I learned how to hunt in my college years. And during my college years, I traveled a lot back and forth to Virginia a lot. And there was a local bow shop in Virginia Beach that was willing to teach me how to properly draw a bow, how to shoot. And so I would literally take my bow back and forth from state to state and Oh, shoot, let me remember. I believe it was Hunter. Yeah, it was Hunter and Jeff from Ocean East Bait and Tackle Shop in Virginia Beach that genuinely took the time to teach me how to draw a bow. And I told them that I had nobody to teach me and they were willing to spend hours with me at the bow shop just to teach me how to shoot. And I took that knowledge to MSU and in between classes I would stop by a kind of like an archery another archery shop but also 3D range and started to learn on my own um I believe my first hunt 
was a turkey hunt that I had no idea on what I was doing. I looked like an absolute idiot. I pulled up, <laughs> I pulled up to public hunting grounds and literally for some reason, I just had this idea of hunting to be easy, which is the biggest mistake of all. I thought turkeys were going to be lined up in this, <laughs> this little cut corner of a field. And so as an idiot, <laughs> I would, I literally got out of my car and probably walked, I'm not even kidding, like 20, 30 meters away from my car because I was kind of scared. I wasn't used to going to the woods alone. I was a woman. I had nobody to go with. And so I was literally, I camped 20 meters away from my car and literally started to call on turkeys. And the fact that my first hunt was a turkey hunt and I heard them gobble back, it was the most exhilarating thing in the world, thinking that maybe today I will be able to shoot a turkey. That was not the case. It took me two years to finally shoot a turkey. But um, yeah, it's just a lot of trial and error. Um, no one, no one necessarily like held my hand <clears throat> and taught me all the ins and outs of this is where you go to learn how to shoot this. You have to go do hunter safety. You have to, this is how you properly draw a bow. And just because you bought a bow doesn't mean that you can properly shoot it. Like I had to learn all of it through trial and error and showing up to the woods constantly because what you see on YouTube, what you see on what, like, how people hunt on video is completely different than the reality of it. People might make it sound super easy or super, super difficult, but you won't know yourself until you're actually out in the field and learning from it. And that was what I did during all three years of MSU. I would just, I wasn't a partier, I wasn't a drinker, I wasn't I was a pretty lame kid. All I did was studied and hunted. That's literally all I did all three years. And nobody had the same interests. And I was just, I don't know, I was just dabbling in it in it for all for all of my time in college. And then fast forward now, it's like I focused on my hobbies. And it was strictly to learn more about how to become a hunter and how to fish and everything. And so during, I don't know, during the time at college, that's when you really get to know yourself as a person. And I never was really influenced with like the college life at all. But So with all of that, um, what you've been up to in the outdoors and how you got there and not like turkey hunting completely get it like that's a sensory hunt that I think a lot of people take for granted so I love that that was your first experience in all of this you adapted yourself into like an all-around outdoorsman you're hunting you're fishing what are some of your favorite things that you've been up to lately is like what's your favorite game to hunt right now favorite I think literally white-tailed deer has been it'll always be in the center of my heart something what about deer does it? what was it what is it that does it for you they're tricky like not a lot of people talk about it, but yes, I understand. It's like a lot of people can hunt private land, even private land or public land. Like they're both equally as hard. The fact that deer hunting is basically an amplified version of playing chess. That is how <laughs> I would describe deer hunting. Because 
let's just say that you've been tracking a buck for all of summer. You see him in velvet. You're literally patterning him out. And the day when bow opener starts, he's gone. His pattern is literally tossed out. It's literally like no matter how much prep you put into deer hunting, you will always get played. Like you are the, what was it called? You are always like the pawn. Like, it's it's never it's never as easy as people deem it to be. And I think that it's just, you have to create, you have to get creative, especially if you're hunting on public, on how to pinpoint a deer on um on their schedule and I just I just think it's just special it's just special overall because people always take deer hunting for granted too because it's just of course like everybody deer hunts a lot of people deer hunt and it's just it's just I don't know I I genuinely love it because you would you will never expect you will always expect the unexpected from a deer like there's no okay well you follow step one so you're going to see a deer at step five. That's never the case. They will literally run you out dry where you could literally be sitting in a tree stand for the whole entire season and only see a buck, your target buck twice. <laughs> That's just how it is. Yeah. I mean, I've had seasons where I've gone where I've, you know, that the whole bachelor crew showing up spring through summer and season starts and I've sat an entire season literally day in and day out almost every day of my season and never even seen my target but so you are right like patterns change and I think that you know scouting and cameras and things like that can put you ahead but at the end of the day they're still wild animals and they're they can be very unpredictable I pattern everything I you know guiding here in Michigan I'm just right around the corner from a lot of my fields and I pattern everything but there's days where they still stump me yeah it's it's crazy. It's insane how smart they are. Like people don't give them enough credit of how smart these animals are, but like they're they're pretty darn they're they're witty. Yes. Yeah. I've always said that like if, if you've ever underestimated whitetail, wait till you're blown by a doe. Like that is the surefire sign that like you're winded, they heard you, they caught your movement. It's just they're it, you are right on the dot with that of calling it a chess game and we're just the pawn because they will put you in checkmate time and time again and it's very seldom that that as a pawn you get to take the queen or you know exactly like oh my goodness and that's why it makes it so addicting because like a lot of my family member and friends nowadays are like why are you sitting in a tree for like eight hours plus for what have you seen anything I'm like it's not about seeing them it's the it's about the chance of being able to see them and giving yeah. like being able to actually shoot at them. That's like a bonus right there. Yeah. I think a lot of people lose sight when they look at hunters as like, we're just out there to kill things. But in the, the full reality of it is it's this escape and appreciation for the outdoors and learning. Like you're always learning. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. You're always learning about that animal, about the environment. And I think that that's what uh, like, is that true testament of an outdoorsman is mm -hmm. what their takeaway is like sure there's people that hunt that are in it just for the kill but I would say a vast majority of outdoorsmen they just enjoy the outdoors they love the challenge and I think that's becoming um a more apparent thing now in these with outdoorsmen and women is like we just have an appreciation and a love for the outdoors and 
most of us are are animal lovers, which is kind of funny because a lot of people think that like these heinous people that are just out there to kill things and it's really not the case at all. Right? And that's just like I feel like oh, I guess this this kind of relates to why I hunted yeah. really hardcore in college okay. too. Um so stress and depression. I feel like, you know, a lot of people out their outlet is to be with other people or to, you know, be party goers and that's completely okay. I'm not I'm not looking down at that at all. But a way for me to like de-stress and kind of like cope with my depression at that time was strictly being in the outdoors. I felt like not a lot of kids were spending time outside and especially with hunting, you're just you're literally plopped down near a tree. And you're focused on the little minuscule things in the woods. Like your mind goes completely blank or goes into like this reflection mode of your whole entire life. I actually don't, I make it kind of like a goal every time I go hunting to not play with my phone. I would, I don't know, make little trinkets out of leaves or play with sticks like and go back to the simpler times as a kid. But the time spent in the woods was literally a way for me to meditate and to really calm down with whatever of my life I was in. It's just a time of like self-reflection. And then, of course, it's always a bonus to see a deer. <laughs> like if you if you made it in the stand for more than four hours without falling asleep, and you're meditating here and there and then you see a deer. That's just such a bonus. Like at that, like hunting is just it's just so funny because it's just not it's not strictly for the meat. The meat is such a bonus. It's but it's definitely a way for for me to know myself even more and to like step back from like the daily hectic life that we're all living in. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a really nice way to disconnect but reconnect with yourself. Um, I think the outdoors and I think a lot of people lose that especially with you know the way Instagram and social media has become is you know they're out there making those TikToks and stuff but the reality of it is is if you're going out in the outdoors and you actually truly disconnect that self-reflection that you're able to provide yourself is there's nothing else that provides that like the outdoors and whether that's going out for a walk whether that's going out for hunting reconnecting with nature and disconnecting from all the technology I feel Mm -hmm. like it a great way to magnify your happiness because like you see all these kids they get so wrapped into social media or video games or whatever that may be on an electronic but when we raise our like raise our kids or even ourselves like sometimes we get so pulled into it that we forget we need that time to disconnect and like it's just a hard reset sometimes exactly like I feel like I mean, it's it's great now how, like, the female community is so involved with, with hunting. And don't get me wrong, like, I give the utmost respect to people that can film and hunt. I've taken a step back, ever. I mean, ever since I had kids, too, to film my hunts or to document everything because I feel like sometimes it takes away... It takes away like the present time. Like you can't fully be present when, you know, you're like tweaking the camera or you're trying to make sure to get every single angle of a hunt. And it's it's hard to balance both. And it's just such a sacred time too, because of course all of us we have we have a different job and life at, back at home. So 
anytime that we are able to get outside it's just such a I don't know how to describe this but like it's a it's a personal me time where you just don't want to waste it doing anything else it's it's a time to recharge your life basically yes absolutely um we are gonna jump to a short break to hear from our um, sponsors and then we will be right back and we will dive back into this a little bit more with Anwen. Share your love of the outdoors with your little ones through the exciting adventures in Dr. Josh Farr's children's books. As an avid sportsman, Dr. Josh Farr has taken his passion for the outdoors and uses his vivid storytelling to teach valuable lessons and appreciation of the world. Learn the alphabet through the ABCs of hunting. Find joy in exploring the outdoors with Let's Go Out and Play and more. You and your child will love learning about nature with Dr. Josh Farr. See all of his books now at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. Weeby Knives, a brand of skinning, fleshing, and butchering knives perfect for the hunters, trappers, and fishermen with a unique high-quality knife for animals of all shapes and sizes. You can find them and more information at WeebyKnives.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stonehouse Digital Consulting, elevate your small business with Stonehouse's expert marketing solutions. Ignite your online presence and thrive with a tailored strategy to drive your growth. You can find them and more information at StonehouseDigitalConsulting.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Livingston County Pheasants Forever, Chapter 465, with a mission to conserve pheasant, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public access, education, and conservation. You can contribute by joining the meetings on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Howell American Legion Hall on the corner of M59 and Grand River. For more information and to get involved, you can find them at pf465.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Dreamcatcher Charters, a Michigan-based guide service for walleye, sturgeon, and duck hunting with a passion that drives their success, sharing the phenomenal Michigan waterways with everyone. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Feather Moon Outdoors, offering calls made from select materials. Every pot is fine-tuned in the house using the highest quality materials available. Also offering diaphragm, slate, glass, grunt calls, and more. For more information, you can find them at feathermooneoutdoors.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stay tuned, more podcasts to come. So welcome back. We are here today for the Women of the Wild podcast with Ann Wynn here in Michigan. And we kind of like to how you got into to being an outdoors woman and where it sparked for you you know through middle school into high school and, and it, once you got into college that it it really uh resonated within you of who you are and what you want to do with your life but there's a big piece to you that we haven't touched on yet and I know that our listeners can probably hear it here and there but you are a mom and you put that before everything you're a working mom a wife you have a daughter right now and you're you're currently pregnant and you're like do almost damn near any day and like so excited but I would love to dive into how you like how you like just juggle all of this like it is as a mother myself like I I understand how it, it can be hard and it can be challenging but what are some of the things that you do to stay on track and like keep yourself focused but still be able to juggle being a mom and an outdoorsman and a career woman Oh my gosh, this is such a funny topic. Like, um, you know how like a lot of people, they're like, well, you know, I can't hunt because I have kids. That is my most pet peeve answer. 
when I get from people, I'm like, because people would always assume, like, my peers, they would always assume, like, oh, this is before I even had kids. Oh, just wait until you have kids. I'm like, yeah, I'll wait until I have kids, and I'll find the how. And it's just, you, it's such a mentality thing. Like, like for instance, you have kids. People's, people will nonstop, like, we're human beings, but we nonstop always have some sort of excuse of why we're not living the kind of life that we want to live and that was such a huge pet peeve of me like just hearing other people say no you know I'm too busy because of work or I'm too busy because of kids or just just wait until you have kids and you can't do this I'm like why is our society so why is our society so focused on the can't instead of the can and so First off, I had kids. I was pregnant with my firstborn, B, and we did everything under the sun from noodling to hunting to traveling from Alaska, fishing for sockeye. And even after she was born, I literally strapped her on my back and still casted. I was still able to hunt. We took turns. It's it's such a great bonus for for me to have my husband because he's luckily he's an outdoorsman too we actually met on a deer hunt and that's why we kind of we were able to make it work where I sometimes the weather is so crappy where I could just be stuck in the car taking care of the kids for a little bit and we would take turns flipping and flopping in the in the stand so with kids, it's just the matter of you being creative enough to find how you can incorporate them in your hobbies. Like, yes, I know hunting. I've done it by myself for quite some time. And then I met my husband and we, we've done it together. But now having kids, we would try to incorporate them um, with every deer hunt, every fishing trip, like it's it's not easy I'm not going to sugarcoat that it is easy but it definitely makes you grow as a person as a parent and also for your kids to grow in the outdoors it gives them a chance to actually and experience life compared to you know handing them an ipad or technology nowadays where kids are always cooped up and recently we took we took B out to uh, Washington to catch pink salmon it was it was quite a journey every hour or two hours and it became to every 20 minutes she would scream she would cry and I would literally bounce her on my backpack while I was casting in Seattle to try to catch a pink salmon we we really try to make it work and it's not as easy as people make it or make it to be on social media it's it's tiring it's hard but you just kind of got to suck it up and this deals with work as well um I used to work as a restaurant manager and I wanted to have some sort of career field that was kind of more um remote work from home still be able to take care of the kids or still have the option to take care of the kids while being able to work because of course, like with all these trips, you would have to find a way to fund them. And I would love to be a stay-at-home mom, but <laughs> like 
I am so determined to travel and to experience all these hunts and fishing trips where I'm like, okay, well, we got to figure out another way. And that's, that was how I became a real estate agent and completely changed my career field, did a 360 flip, am able to take care of the kids and still be able to travel and fund for future trips. And it's not, I'm like the way that I'm describing it, it's not, it's not for everyone. Um, I'm not going to lie. It is hard. It is definitely hard. I've had, I've had uh, times where I'm just questioning, like I'm juggling so much with on my own part where I feel like, is this even the right move? But as, as myself or as like knowing how I am as a person, I wanted to start hunting. I didn't know anybody and I found the how. How can I start? And then now fast forward with kids, with a career, I try to find how can I continue to hunt? So I won't lose track of like who I am as a person because it's so easy nowadays for moms to get stressed out, to take care of the kids. It's, it's a lot of work. And I understand, I completely understand why moms would stay at home to take care of the kids. But then you start to lose your identity, just being at home, taking care of the kids, you know, you cook, you clean. And, you know, some moms would work at home and it's just, you lose, you quickly lose sight of who you are before you became a mom. You're so used to that term from your kids and your husband where you it's just so important to stay intact with who you are and your roots and because you can't just be living life where you're just like I can't do this because I have kids I can't do this because of work like the possibilities are endless if you just put in that effort put in put yourself in a spot that is uncomfortable because eventually over time, you're going to be comfortable. That's how you grow as a person. And like, I am a huge introvert, but now I chose a career field that I have to be an extrovert. And I am, I grew confidence off of it. Same with hunting. I was scared. I was so, so scared to walk into the woods alone and as a woman and not knowing anybody. I didn't know how to properly use a firearm. And do you know how intimidating it was to walk into a store and be like, hey, I don't know how to buy a gun. I don't know how to take these safety classes. I don't know anybody that can teach me how to shoot a gun. Can you help? The fact that you're reaching out your hand and asking for help is just such a huge step on growing as a person and that's what I would love to stress for a lot of people because yeah I post things on social media and a lot of other women they would post things on social media making it seem like it's easy no this is this is hard it is very very hard but the reward at the end of the day is so amazing where you train yourself in a way to just completely evolve around different situations that you're in because how my life is now isn't going to look the same five years down the line could be harder it could be easier I don't know
But if you continue to keep pushing and keep finding a the hows instead of like the cans instead of your the cans, you will just overall grow as a person and not be I don't know how like so lost because postpartum pregnancy body image to fitness to your mental health physical health it all correlates to how you perceive yourself and what you do each and every day like yeah I'm on my third trimester yes I'm almost due for a baby like in now or two three but it's just I'm still making my way to the gym I'm still working out my body is changing where I feel so uncomfortable that it is changing but the fact that I still show up for myself is enough for me to keep on pushing. Yeah, so, and yeah. I think a really big thing to stress, um, I mean, my kids are, are grown and old, but it, it's, I don't want to say grown and old, but mine are 10 and 14 now. And when I had mine, it was very, almost taboo um, to bring your kids out hunting with you. But I was a single mom. And the only way for me to take my kids or to only go hunting still was to take my kids. So you just, like you said, you find the how. I think what you're doing, yes, it's hard, but it is so inspirational. It's showing other women that you can still do this. Um, you can still go fishing. You can still travel. You can still do these things, even with children. And I think that it's also raising a next generation of kids who are going to have a whole different value and respect for for the outdoors, but also as a family entity. Like, you see a lot of these kids who are super disrespectful to their parents and just, you know, ill-willed and, you know, these bullies and everything like that. But I think that the outdoorsmen that you create or women that you're creating when you take your kids and you immerse them in the outdoors, they gain this whole new respect. And I, I want to commend you for that because it is, it is easier to just not. But you are a thousand percent right that you will lose your identity by giving up who you are. And if the outdoors is a big part of your life, just because you're introducing new family members does not mean that you have to give it up. You might have to tweak it and you might have to work a little bit harder. But like you said, where there's a will, there's a way. And you just have to find that will within you of what you want to do. And seeing women like yourself, like Rebecca Garris, you know, these women that are out there getting their kids out, getting them involved. I think that you guys don't get enough applaud for what you're raising because these, these little boys and these little girls that women who are outdoors women immerse their families in this experience are creating our next generation of conservation. And we are one generation away from losing it all. So to me, the, the preservation within our hunting community that is happening as mothers involving their children I absolutely commend you on what you're doing and I love that you talk about it like I love that you do things and you showcase the fact that you are taking your daughter with you that you're you know putting her in a pack and you're just making it happen but I think that it's also amazing of you to express the truth and reality behind that I know before we started recording we talked about transparency and how you're a very transparent person and super relatable because I'm the same way. Like if I can give you the honest truth and I don't have to skew your expectations, great. But by telling people like, it's not easy, it is hard, but if you want to do it, do it. And I think that it's important for people to know, like 
it's not all Facebook and Instagram smiles. It's not the highlight reel. It It's hard and you're going to have to take multiple breaks, but there's a way to do it. And I think that it also builds a really nice um, entity within your own family, right? Like your kids are going to respect you on a whole different level. I think it helps build patience. Yeah. And there's just a lot of little pieces to that puzzle that make it make that whole picture actually showcase at the end of the day exactly and I feel like also like when you take your kids outdoors at a young age for parents that you know are really into the outdoors you can't expect your kid to like when they grow up they're gonna love exactly love it but it definitely gives them an option to experience what it's like being outside and I feel like biologically we humans are built to be outside like we're supposed to be inside all the time um dealing with technology and then also it's like it's a family bonding activity that the kids can look back at uh when they get older I mean as long as you don't have the expectation that the kids are gonna like absolutely love it as much as you do and you're just opening up a gate for them to experience it it's definitely no harm, no foul to take them out fishing and hunting and, you know, to experience all this and to harvest their own food, to to basically educate them where food comes from and to not take it for granted in a way, too. Yes, absolutely. I mean, my children, getting them in the outdoors at a very, very young age, like what you're doing now, um, that was just the way of life. But now that they're older, it's and that's something too, as moms, as you start to adapt, as they start to evolve as doing things in the outdoors, like they have to know, um, like one of my biggest rules is like, I'll never make you stay. I'll never make you go. Um, and I have that rule for many aspects in my life, but like I've had to last minute cancel a hunt because it's absolutely miserably disgusting outside. And my kids, you know, didn't have the right gear for it or just woke up that morning in a mood and didn't want to go. I don't make them. If they don't want to go, we just don't go. If they want to go, I'm all for it. Let's go. It's going to be the best experience possible. But I always, always, if children are involved, whether they're my own or someone else's that I'm mentoring, Mm -hmm. I have this rule that when a kid is done, I will, I will do one push of like, let's try to stick it out. And if they are just absolutely miserable, the hunt's done. I don't care if we've been out there 20 minutes, an hour. The biggest thing that I fear introducing children in the outdoors is to scar them from an experience. So if they're if they're like bitterly cold or yeah. you know, rainy, drizzly, whatever that may be, I will do my absolute best to accommodate. But I don't ever want to skew a child's perception of the outdoors that I know that it's built some incredible outdoors men and women that like they have those stories that like, no, I'm I'm this badass now because my dad like we stuck it out. I refuse to do that to a kid um, to an extent to an extent. I actually have a really funny story about my 14 year old this year. We uh, we went on a pheasant hunt. And one of my very good friends, um, Stump from RM Custom Calls, he uh told me this story once and it resonated with me about a little boy who forgot his gloves. And um, this past season, I did a youth pheasant hunt and my son was um, involved and I was there as a mentor. And Mm -hmm. I asked him three times that morning, it was bitter cold out. I asked him three times, did you grab your coat? Did you grab your hat? Did you get your gloves? And I told him, if not, grab one of mine out of the hunting closet. And he swore up and down, he grabbed them. (laughs) Well, when we were leaving, I saw that he did not grab them. And I left them 
at home. So I made him go hunt without it. And I, he was, I mean, freezing cold, high winds, like it was crummy, crummy weather. I was dressed for it and it was still cold. Mm-hmm. But my son, because I've adapted him in that sense, he had such a, a point to prove with me that he was tough enough that he, without gloves, without a good coat, he stuck that entire hunt out. And he was like, I mean, he was hurting, like he was cold. <laughs> He he pushed through it and I like offered to hold his gun. I offered him my gloves at one point in time because as a mom, you start to feel bad. Yeah. After the hunt was over, I praised him. I told him how proud of him I was. And I remember telling my mom that same night, like I called and she was asking like how many birds he got. And I said, he never pulled the trigger. And my dad was like, well, why not? I said he was too cold. And I, I felt this sense that like, you know, like you should have brought the coat, you should have brought the gloves. And I was like, no, because what does that teach them? Like at some point they do have to learn the hard way, but when they're very, very young, I do cater hunts. But as a teenager, now it's that bullheaded where you have to teach them a lesson. And, and, you know, everybody's parenting styles are different, but for me personally, if I have a kid that's not yet to their teenage years, if they want to call the hunt, we call the hunt now with like a, a little baby, it's different. You're just appeasing them until, you know, but if they're like absolutely miserable, throwing a temper tantrum, sometimes you just have to count your blessings that you got out there for the little bit that you did and you take them home. If they're, they don't want to do it. It's, it can be a very fine line of scarring children of what the outdoors is or skewing that perception to to not make them hate it. Exactly. Like I can't recall how many times We've stepped into the woods or water and only fished or hunted for only 30 minutes before we had to turn back around because she was just not having it. And And I I think people don't realize that. Like they think that you're just out there, you know, crushing it for hours and hours. And and sometimes, you know, especially when you get these greenies to hunting or fishing on social media, like, Mm -hmm. how dare you do that to your kid? And it's like, you don't realize the back end of this that we might've tried to go out there three, four different times throughout the course of a day or two. And yeah, while I had a couple successes, like the biggest success is the fact that we spent time together as a family. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, people, people are so quick to assume that we're like evil, I guess, (laughs) to bring out our kids. How dare you bring your kid outside? Well, first, I'm sorry that I'm building their immunity. That's one. And then two, it's like we know our kids so well enough that if the weather is to be extreme, we don't take them out. We tried. We tried. But it's just like I've had times when, what was it, during white fishing, like recently, we had very, very cold weather. And, of course, it was just me and my husband that had to take care of, take care of her. No grandparents was able to watch her. And so... We still wanted to go white fishing. We didn't want to miss our chance and our opportunity. So what had happened? We both went went out there and one of us was taking turns holding the baby in the car while the other one was fishing. And it's just it's just how it is. You make it work, but it's it's not the most ideal way to fish and hunt, but uh you're still able to get out there, I'd say. Yeah, I mean there's like you said it's finding that that will to do it and accommodating the fact that there's children involved and if it's nicer weather or you know great conditions awesome you can go do it together as a family but 
I think that it's important to share those little tips of like, this is how we get around it. That if this is something you really want to do, you just might have to tweak it a little bit and make it work for your family. Exactly. And I don't know, I like even, even now there's some friends and family that, I mean, they have kids and I just see them all just cooped up in the house. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, how can, like, I can't, I physically cannot stand being cooped up in the house. Like, I can't do it. Where I would have to, I prioritize being outside with my kid. And you just got to bear with it. Like, shoot. Like, your mental state is just deteriorating if it's always inside. Yes. And I think that's something that's often overlooked and overrated is I think a lot of like, look at seasonal depression, for instance, right? You have so many women or so many humans, not even just women. Um, You have so many people that get cooped up in the outdoors because it's wintertime. They're yeah. getting the lack of sunlight. You know, they, they lose that vitamin D depression. It's easy to set in and it may be something minute. Um, to where you don't notice a big influx in your personality or maybe depressed state. It's it's something that isn't talked about. Everyone has a mental state, whether mm-hmm. it's depression, whether it's, um, you know, some sort of manic disorder, like everybody has something with their personality that they could suffer at any point in time from like a like I want to call it an episode right like an episode of like depression or anxiety or whatever that may be but I think a lot of it does equate to indoors or television or electronics and taking those hard resets to get outdoors especially as a family it just seems like people are so much happier and they they're not comparing themselves to anyone else they're just living their life they're in the moment and not to say that like it's not like I'm not talking down to those who like truly have, you know, some sort of depression disorder or something like that. But I think at some level, all humans, we are just wired that way, that we all have those moments. It may not be something that is always there, but I think that those outdoors and those activities, especially with loved ones, especially in good weather, when you're getting that vitamin D and you're exercising. I think a lot of that gets taken for granted too, that that's all part of hunting and fishing and being an outdoors person is that reset to your personal overdrive that you are constantly in between, you know, whether you work um, a physical labor job or a computer job, you're, you're tediously doing these tasks and you need these resets that are your own personal outlets. Exactly. And I feel like so, like, just talking about, um, I guess, disorders and, like, depression and all that, or episodes, it's, it's like, it's a question where, okay, so, like, back in, back when I was in, at university and I was studying, I was always cooped up in my dorm studying, and I've, I mean, I've dealt with, like, depression here and there, and just like the little amounts like little episodes of depression but that was pretty normal like human human beings like I feel like with our I'm like no doctor here but I feel like with our brain when we have if we feel depressed or anxious in a certain period of time I feel like that is a way for our brain and body to tell us that we're lacking something or something isn't right 
And so every time that if you were to go to a doctor and be like, hey, I'm depressed. I don't know what's wrong. They'll make you take a survey. How depressed are you? Blah, blah, blah. But has working out and exercising been the number one top solution from a doctor? No. Usually as soon as you come in, you step into an office and be like, hey, I'm depressed. They'll be like, okay, well, we're going to prescribe you with antidepressants. And that's the normality of it. Mm-hmm. That's something wrong with you. No, nothing. I mean, like, of course, everybody's different. Somebody will have a uh, more serious disorder that maybe working out and exercising and being outside isn't going to help because maybe of their past experiences or, you know, different life situations. But people just don't talk about going outside and actually working out as a way of therapy it is essential like our bodies are known to work and suddenly now we're cooped up because of work and we stay you know nine to five at the office you get home and you're stuck at home and you don't prioritize it and you're just like oh well a lot of people nowadays they're like I'm too tired I'm too tired to work out but Has anybody actually worked out regardless of whether you're tired or not? And every single time after you work out, don't, doesn't it make you feel a lot, a lot better? A lot of people don't equate that, but um, that's actually a really good point of like, I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. But in all reality, by doing things with working out with proper diet, with proper um, hydration, Mm -hmm. you're going to sleep better at night. Your, yep. your internal chemical balance will have a good reset to it and everything just is easier. So you're absolutely right. We are in a society now in days where, you know, something's a little bit off. We're going to prescribe you this. That's not really the solution. Mm-hmm. It's something that Big Farm has really, I feel, you know, as, as an employer of Big Farm, um, I think that that's something that's very heavily pushed is these chemical imbalances need to be treated with a chemical. But in all reality, they're natural chemicals that our bodies create that typically there's a solution within that that we can mitigate the need for medications if we are diligent enough and make the right choices in our life. So like, I'm not sleeping. Okay, take a sleeping med. No, actually, if you just work out and you eat a proper diet, it will probably fix itself unless you actually have some severe issue that actually needs medication. Um, And I think our society's just kind of gotten lazy because of of those things. And as a mom, and as a woman that you are getting in the gym, you are working, I mean, you're, you're like ready to pop and you're out there being a mom, you're being an outdoors woman, you're working, you're being a wife, but you're also going to the gym every day. And you are like, crushing it out there, right? Like you for being (laughs) for being eight months pregnant. I didn't even realize that you were that far along because you are still so like, I'm sure you feel over it. But in my eyes, you look amazing. You are active, you are, to me, you're out there just killing it. And I'm sure it looks different. Um, You know, through someone's point of view of following you on social media and having conversation with you opposed to like what it feels like internally for you. Mm-hmm. But as an outsider looking at your life, I want I want you to know that you are doing amazing and doing these things while it's a huge mental health boost. Um, I think it's often overlooked that those things are 
able to be done as a mom, able to be done as a wife, as working full time. And I, like you've said this so many times in the podcast, but it's so true of your like, find your how you have to have that want and that desire to do it. And as long as you are going to execute that and do those things, it is going to contribute to a happier lifestyle and the outdoors mixed in with that puts you in such a better mindset. It really does. I mean, I just like going back to what you said about um, how our society is lazy. It is so true. Like, I don't know. People are popping out kids. They don't want to deal with a temper tantrum kid screaming at the top of their lungs. So what do they do? They turn on TV. Or they, mm-hmm. they give them an iPad. And yet, those are the kind of people that would look down on me for mm-hmm. taking them out fishing. Yeah, I have a screaming baby. But also, they don't scream as much as me leaving them indoors. You know, having her on my back and her seeing like the views of um, the outside views, the woods, the ocean. It just, majority of the time, she's not that fussy. And it varies from baby to baby, but it's just nowadays everybody is a lot of people like, I guess, laziness is just the new norm. And if you are pushing yourself out of a comfortable boundary, then you're looked at as weird or you're parenting wrong or um, what you're doing is just not good for your kid or you're, you're crazy, you're crazy for even taking the time for yourself to hunt and fish when you have kids. I need time to reset. I am a human being. Yes, I am a mom, but I'm also Anne. I'm myself. And I need to recharge and I would have to do whatever it can be to have that personal time to recharge, to be a good wife, to be a good mom. Because I can't I can't expect my mental sanity to be there if I'm constantly cooped up in the house, taking care of the baby, not knowing who I am. All my hobbies are on standby and it's probably never going to start up ever again. And to not pursue a career that I've always wanted to pursue. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, when you get an airplane and they do their whole like safety lowdown of like, you know, in the, in the event of this, like, you need to make sure that you put your mask on first. Yep. It is that in a, in, in it's all integrity, right? Like you have to be able to take care of yourself to take care of everyone else. And I think that that's often overlooked because as a mother, you kind of always put yourself last. And I, I don't think that that is, it's okay to do like, you have to be able to put yourself first. And it's okay to say that, you know, I have to come first because I need to be my best self be able mm-hmm. to provide the best to my children and to do things that give you that escape to give you that outlet it's making you a better mother it's making you like you said a better wife it's going to make you a better employee like maybe I mean most of us are still dreaming of being outdoors when we go to work but um <laughs> it, it does it it sets you in a better mind state to just be a better person mm-hmm. and I think as a whole sometimes as especially mothers I think sometimes we lose ourselves in being a mom so much that we do, we lose our identities. And I think that it's very, very important to share like this, this journey that you're on, the fact that you're sharing, you know, that you and your husband are doing these things, that you're bringing your daughter, that you're pregnant, and you're going to be bringing this next child out with you guys. Like, it is, it's so important, in my opinion, to showcase that. Um, I am really bad at that. I don't, 
I actually have, have gotten a lot of naysayers for this of like, oh, you're a mom, but you never have pictures with your kids. I don't post pictures of my children because they're old enough to voice their opinion that they don't want to be plastered all over social media. Mm-hmm. Now, do they they care from time to time? But like I've had I've had gentlemen reach out to me that are like, you're this awful mom. You're putting yourself first. You're out here hunting all the time. Where the hell are your kids? And I laugh because typically they're in the blind with me. I just don't <laughs> shoot it. So yeah. like my son, my oldest, he's been to Nebraska. He's been to Arkansas. Like, I don't know many 14 year olds that can say that they've done some of the things that my children have been able to do. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that like social media can be that double-edged sword. Like you either showcase it too much or you don't showcase it enough and everybody just interjects their opinion and it, it drives me crazy. But I mean, guiding here, typically my oldest son is out there with me and he's learning how to guide. He's learning the ins and out. He's learning these animals. My 10-year-old just this morning on the way to school told me, he's like, mom, I want to shoot a goose again. And I'm like, let's go. It's not season yet, but come January, we'll get back out there. And it's, it's something that they have grown a love for mm-hmm. because of the way that they've been adapted to it throughout the years. But I think that it's super important for us as moms to like reconnect ourselves and know that it's okay. And it's not a, it's not a selfish thing to do to want to be in the outdoors or take that time for yourself that we do need that reset for ourselves to be a better person and be a better mom to our kids. And now to the final segment to this week's episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We will conclude this segment by thanking our closing sponsors. Stay tuned for more of this week's episode after this short word from our sponsors. Muzzy Pheasant Farms, a mid-Michigan family-owned and operated pheasant game preserve that is open year-round. Muzzy offers educational courses and hunts. They are family-oriented, creating a great opportunity for new and seasoned upland hunters. With no membership required, come hunt with Muzzy Pheasant Farms. You can find more information at muzzypheasantfarms.com or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Blast and Cast Guide Service is a veteran-owned and operated Michigan-based guide service for the Great Lakes. With decades of experience of fishing and waterfowl, they ensure a safe and enjoyable trip every time. You can check them out at blastandcastguideservice.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Ultimate Veteran Adventures. UVA offers outdoor therapy, recreation, and camaraderie through hunting and fishing adventures around the country for veterans, active duty military, Gold Star families, and first responders. You can find them at Ultimate Veteran Adventures. You can find them at ultimateveteranadventures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, a husband and wife owned and operated company, the home of the C4, one of the best trapping canine lures on the market. You can find them at sawmillcreekbaitandlures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Wicked 7 Outdoors, a Southwest Texas outfitter guide service with an exceptional care and quality of backcountry mountain hunts for free range audad. Also offering high fence and low fence exotics, come immerse yourself in the outdoor experience. You can find Wicked 7 Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Misguided Outdoors is a female-driven Michigan-based guide service offering turkey and waterfowl hunts. Misguided is focused on educating women and youth, providing a hands-on hunt experience for all ages. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Exactly. I, I just feel like it's just, it's just funny to me how like our peers or just our audience whenever we showcase anything online 
or social or social media in general they genuinely think that is our life that is you know like just because I don't take pictures of my kid I left the kid back at home like it's just so easy for other people to assume because I feel like it's easy for them to assume because they're in a situation where they feel like they can't do it it's easier to hate on people than to actually Mm -hmm. or admire them or be inspired you know and it's just I don't it's pretty goofy like even like my my family like my parents they'll be like and you need to focus on work you need to focus on work and you can't be traveling all the time you can't leave baby I'm like I don't I don't necessarily have a very close relationship with my parents and like I said before like they're um they're pretty traditional Vietnamese parents so they for them to see their daughter to to be a mom literally super super pregnant have a kid and juggling work and to see me travel I I always try to make it a goal to travel every month even if it's as short as like three days um out of the state and it's because like you guys don't really see that I am incorporating my kid Mm -hmm. I take her flights at the age of like four four or five months she was in Alabama she's finally saw the ocean for the first time like this is it's just it's just so easy for people to assume and just hearing it from my own parents like they're like well you need to focus on work you also don't see that behind everything I'm busting my ass for like 18 hours 18 hours like constantly on certain days like working where I would have to uh, take care of the baby while I'm at work but nobody talks about it you know we all know the highlights of it and the highlights of it is what I I live for you know like this is this is the reason why I work so hard and so incredibly hard as a real estate agent because I would push and push, push, push and work straight for weeks. And I would I would prioritize three to four days of the whole entire month to have a reward and to travel out of state. But even every single day that I work my butt off, I still set a time for my family, for myself if it's working out in the gym for like an hour to taking my family out to fishing or walking along the banks of like Michigan, it's, I just, it's just a priority. Once it's a priority, you really, it's like, um, it's like your non-negotiables. There you go. (laughs) Like you, like you can't, you can't make an excuse for it. Like, yeah. I don't really document a lot of my life and I don't need to explain to every single one, every single person in my life of what I'm doing because one, you're not me. You're also not my daughter. You're also not my husband. Like you are in a position where you don't need to know exactly what's in my life, you know? And it's okay to assume because honestly, at the end of the day, what matters is myself my and my close family. I think you just hit the nail on the head there though. Like with social media, People have this crazy desire to have an opinion and an insight on other people's lives so much that I think that it distracts them from their own. But I think that it's so funny that that our new, like this generation, right? Like our grandparents did not have social media. People wonder why relationships lasted back then versus now. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the social media and things like that where you could just 
have somebody else lined up to go be your best friend or date or whatever it is. Like you put Mm -hmm. more effort into things. And I think that it's so funny that people are so entitled to an, they feel so entitled to an opinion about other people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's people out there that don't, don't know you or don't know me, but have already made an opinion about us based off of social media. And it's like you said, it's a highlight reel. You don't see a lot of the negatives and you don't see a lot of the, the bad things that are happening in people's lives or, or even like a skew of a photo. Like we, like we talked about, you know, post a photo of yourself with a deer. They don't realize that your daughter was right there with you too. Um, Mm -hmm. And no, we don't, we don't have to owe anyone an insight to what actually happened or we don't have to validate your opinion based on our lives. I think it's a really funny thing that social media has created um, that people feel so entitled to an opinion on someone else's life. Um, we, I mean, we've had, we've seen some recently where, you know, people are upset because somebody doesn't post that they're in a relationship or they're not posting pictures of their kids and they know they're a mom and all of a sudden they're a bad mom or a bad, you know, wife or girlfriend because they didn't change their relationship status. And it's like, why, why is that a topic? exactly it's just so it's ah it's just people are so quick to talk about somebody else's life and yet they can't evaluate their own (laughs) it's it's pretty funny like I just remember too like this is kind of like a little off topic but I remember I posted my first picture um or actually a picture of my first deer that I harvested ever and I think that I believe it was two years ago and back in 2021 uh finally took my first white tail with my bow and oh my goodness I was so incredibly proud of it and then um, of course I got so many comments and I had people that are in my personal sphere that would message me saying hey you killed a yearling and I'm like okay here's the thing she wasn't a yearling even though I didn't take the time to take a proper photo of her I guess she looks small in the picture, but also too, is like, I have been busting my butt out in the woods for so long, for so long. And I have never taken a deer with my bow. Never had the opportunity. I've worked so hard and it was all public land. And I was finally given the chance to hunt private land for the first time and was given a shot opportunity on this deer that I guess it was just too small in people's eyes and people would take the time to send me a whole paragraph saying how wrong it was and yet every single part of that deer was utilized for meat to the bones I kept the bones for broth I kept every single little bits and pieces of that deer to make food and it's just People are so easy to talk down on another person's harvest when they have no idea where they're at in life. Like, you know, how some people, they would post a spike. Yes, maybe killing a spike is wrong, but for that certain person to put an animal down, it's probably because they're not hunting for antlers, but they're hunting strictly for meat and they don't have enough time. Yeah, so we actually talked about this recently on a a podcast that um, aired before this one of people being quick to judge. Like it's something that it needs to stop. As an outdoor community, we we have enough 
fight from greenies, from, you know, these PETA kind of people of putting us down that we shouldn't be having these discussions within our own hunting community, that it should be supportive. Who am I to judge what a trophy is to you? Who am I to judge? Like, what if you're only able to get out two or three days in a season and you're not able to get out multiple times and you just need to put a deer in your freezer? That was the opportunity that presents itself. Like, doesn't matter if it's a yearling, doesn't matter if it's a spike, doesn't matter if it's not this biggest, baddest buck um, out there. Like, it should not matter. The mm-hmm. celebration should be just residing in the fact that that person got out there. There is so much work, whether it's archery, whether it's firearm, there is so much to celebrate that a person was successful or even the fact that they just got out there and they didn't sit on their couch and watch it through a television. Like, I I just don't understand why we can't just celebrate each other's successes regardless of quote unquote a trophy size. Like, it should not matter if it's a 180 inch deer or a spike congratulations is all that needs to be said and telling somebody like oh like I've seen the I was very put off recently a girl had shot her very first year Mm -hmm. and someone had said my dog is bigger than that deer I can't believe you'd take that how dare you take that celebration from this woman for her very first deer away from her Mm -hmm. over just a nasty opinion like that Exactly. And you don't know what her background is, too. It's like, maybe she doesn't have a lot of hunting opportunities. Like, let's just say that she had to wait for somebody to finally take her out. Or two, she doesn't have private property where public is insanely hard. It is incredibly hard to compete with against other hunters on public. And she was able to take a deer like that. And people are just, I don't know, I feel like people are just not being like an understanding human like they used to and it's just hunting like hunting should not ever be about the trophy size like of course you see like these monster bucks that people would post and I don't I really could not give I I really couldn't give a crap about whether it's high fence or low fence or whatnot you know if somebody were to post it I'd still congratulate them you know of course Mm -hmm. I own opinions but that's to myself it's not to anybody else right we have our own standards of ourselves, and they stay for ourselves. and I I agree with you I don't think that it should matter no I mean if you're trying to like put something in a record book and you're trying to compare a high fence to a free range different but somebody that is just out there to hunt to have an experience like what Mm -hmm. if this person doesn't have access to public hunting ground and and maybe it's, I shouldn't say access, but maybe, maybe they're, you know, what is around them is so overhunted and overpopulated that they don't feel comfortable, or maybe, especially as women feel unsafe in their area, and they just don't have the ability to get out there and experience mm-hmm. certain things, regardless of what that may, maybe, maybe they don't have private land around them. Maybe they live in an area where, you know, public land is really far, but th- then they choose to go on like, say a high fence and they shoot something. And it's not what everyone wants it to be. It doesn't matter. The only person that opinion that should matter about that animal is the person that chose to take it. Exactly. Everyone else, you you weren't there. You you don't know what that person's been through. Like, it's just crazy to me that that it is something that we're seeing a lot of. And I think that it's important for people 
to understand that what they're doing is tearing our own hunting community apart from the inside. We have enough people from the outside trying to pull it apart and look down on us that we don't need to be doing it to ourselves and to our fellow outdoorsmen. We need to just be celebrating whether it's a success, like a harvest may not even be involved at all. Like I've seen people that are like, oh, you know, I've been out hunting or all you, you know, you've been out all season and all I've seen is selfies. Where's all the, the animals and people work hard. And it's just, it's, I, I will never understand the naysayers of someone else's experience. As long as you're getting out there and you're doing it and you're doing it lawfully, that's mm-hmm. a celebration. Exactly. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you follow this page, uh, the Steelhead and Salmon page <laughs> for Michigan. Yeah. Oh my goodness. People would roast each other like nonstop. And I'm yeah. like, come on now. Like I would see a father and son duo post a picture that they caught um, a nice salmon off at Betsy. And you know, the salmon run here. Like, of course, as soon as they swim into the rivers to spawn, they start kind of dying off already. And people, people will make family trips up at up north just to, to do a fish haul, and a lot of people that either one they run a charter, or two they are constantly on charters where they get fresh fish. They would always be like, "Well, you're gonna put that on the smoker," or "Oh, you're eating zombies," or eating like basically, um, the like a fish that's dead or rotten. And I'm like, "Are you serious?" Like, one, maybe there's a reason why they went up north is to catch fish like this. And this is going to be their food. Why? Or maybe that's the only time they had off during that season to go, you know? Exactly. Or the schedules and family schedules. Coordinating those is difficult all in itself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's just like, people are just so, they're just so used to bashing on other people on social media where it's just like, okay, it could be funny to an extent but it's just um it's just sad to see it's just sad to see that like you know you can't take in consideration that maybe they can't afford a charter trip that's mm-hmm. why they can't catch fresh fish like it'll be completely different if anybody can catch fresh fish but it's just like that was the only time when salmon are actually coming into the rivers where it's people are actually able to catch them easy you know mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's just, or maybe it's not about the meat at all. And it's just the experience. Um, I, I'm actually a big fan of the river fishing at the end of the salmon run. Oh my gosh. So much fun. (laughs) And you know, it's funny because so a lot of people don't know this when you catch the salmon at the end of a run, their Uh meat is is white. It's not this pink salmon that everybody, you know, that what you're buying in the grocery store, it does not have this like salmon fishy taste. It, it honestly tastes like a completely different fish. I I actually love it. And I actually use it a lot of times for smoking it for dog treats. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the quote unquote zombie fish. I honestly love it. Um, especially the end of the season, you know, at, the, at that run when they're coming into the rivers and, you know, they are, they are half dead. Um, so you're getting a reaction bite because you can't snag here in Michigan, but you're you're getting a reaction bite they're not really hungry you're they're coming in and it's more of a when the fish does bite it is more of there's something in front of my face that you've just aggravated them enough to bite it um which a lot of people don't understand but that meat 
it's a completely different fish than for you to get a charter and to go out on Lake Michigan and go catch them while they're still out in the lakes. It's it's different. And people don't understand that either. But yeah. as somebody who for the last decade goes almost every year for the salmon run, sometimes mm-hmm. it's not even about the fishing at all. It's that, like we talked about earlier, it's that connection to the outdoors. Um I'm a big daddy's girl and he's always been a fisherman and he's a big fly fisherman. So that, that end of season run. Yeah. We go out and catch the zombie fish and it's not even about the fishing. It's about the fact that I'm doing something that my dad and I love to do together. And now we get to do it with my children, which are his grandkids. And it's the experience and people like, who cares what that fish looked like? Or as long as you're doing it legally and you're having a good time just celebrate it exactly it's just like oh my gosh like I don't know if you've seen it too I've seen people post photos up at uh to be damn mm-hmm. like like back in the like early 2000s or in even in the 90s like back back then and it's just so cool to see like how much they've grown like grandpas or dads taking out their kids out to fish and then they would snag a little like um old school photo and they did like a fast forward photo like before and th- before and now and I think that is so amazing just to see how much history and how much it's like a family tradition that place has been you know it's not about the fish it's really not about the fish like whenever when I just make me feel so old <laughs> Oh, it's just, I love it. I love it. Like, I I definitely have to snag uh, a little photo of the whole family of once my second kid comes out and start doing it every year. Yeah. And, and it's going to be like a bittersweet moment. But I think it's just so special because they can look back at it and be like, oh my God, mom and dad used to drag us out here with little mini waders or like, it would like wear them on, on our backpacks just catching salmon. And it's yeah. just... I don't know it's uh if if I would say like hunting and fishing is always about the wild game aspect of it then I would totally I would be really BSing everybody like it's it's not it's the experience like how many times can you say that the hunt went absolutely great and you guys got nothing at all and it all boils down to the the company that you're with like all all the like how many times you were laughing just the the history of it the whole like I can't like just camping it's camping with people that you love and even though you end up not getting a deer or not getting fish like if you're with the right company oh my gosh some of my best hunts don't involve a harvest yeah yeah and that's that's how it is and I think that that's um I think that just goes to show of the type of outdoors person that you are or you know that people are of what they take away or what they're contributing like you know you you do these waterfowl hunts right and you know mm-hmm. the weather is a huge factor the migration's a huge factor you can do one of these hunts and not see a single bird all morning but you mm-hmm. can go out there and have an absolute blast based off of who's in the blind with you the camaraderie that you had the like the fun, the laughs, like it doesn't always have to be um, 
a successful harvest for it to be an awesome hunt. And it's what you're willing to take in from that experience, what you're willing to absorb that experience as if you're showing up and you're like dead set that, you know, I want to, I want to kill my limit today. You're Mm -hmm. missing the whole point of like experiencing it as a, as an experience. Mm -hmm. That to me is, is the best part of being in the outdoors is that experience and that connection you get to make with other people and do it in the outdoors. It, it's a hard reset, but it's one of my favorite things to do is just be out there. I don't care if it's just a hiking trip or shed hunting. Like we do those with women of the wild. We'll do like the shed hunts or foraging or we'll go do these hunts. And yeah, we might have a shit hunt and we might not see anything, but you learned something and we had a great time. And to me, that's the success. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh my gosh. You want to hear something funny? Yes. <laughs> oh, I think it was, uh, that's, I think it was three years ago. I'm not going to name names, <laughs> of course, for this story. But I went on a turkey group hunt and one of the ladies thought it was, she, I guess she got, I want to say she's privileged, but she's used to hunting high fence, which is nothing wrong. Okay. But I guess when she signed up for this turkey hunt, she thought it was a high fence uh, hunt or somewhat like guaranteed. And so this turkey hunt lasted three days. And all three days, it was so incredibly brutal. We were trekking in the woods for, I'm not even kidding, like eight miles a day. Like my feet was just, it was exhausted. We ran out of water. We were really trying. The guide was really helping us get and score our first turkey. And this third girl, she was getting... She was getting so mad that we couldn't get close enough to the turkeys and that she was walking through the woods where I was like, she was putting up this whole mood swing to all of us, the guides, uh, me and this other girl, like she was giving us attitude. It was a total of four girls, actually, not three, Um, four girls. And she was giving us attitude saying like you know I might just fly back to Texas because I thought this hunt was guaranteed blah 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 I remembered like she was just like crapping on our day I turned around I'm like I'm sorry should I take you to a butterball farm to (laughs) and she just looked at me like oh my god how could how dare you say that like like come on dude I'm I'm busting my butt for eight miles eight miles just to see these little we're like tracking these turkeys. They're literally getting up and running away from us. We're crawling on our knees. We have ticks all over our bodies. I'm busting a sweat, dehydrated. I'm dying. <laughs> oh my goodness. And this, this whole time she was just complaining about how she couldn't get a turkey. Like the turkey was just not there for her to shoot. And I'm like, dude, I'm laughing so hard right now because we're all dying even the even the guides were dying and it's just such a fun camaraderie that we're we're putting so much effort for these darn birds to play us like this and it's not even like the bird at that point I didn't I didn't care whether I get a bird or not it's just funny how we're trying to approach them and they're literally miles out within seconds and (laughs) 
this girl this whole time she was threatening us that she was going to texas and i told her that and then she was just like flabbergasted like you are flabbergasted that i told you to shoot one at a butterball farm like is that what you want <laughs> like i i just could not and she oh well long story short she ended up packing her bags and going home to texas anyways <laughs> but, uh, but uh yeah it was just funny just to see her reaction because that was the first time actually yeah one of my first times meeting somebody who was just not into the hunt itself they were into more of a bird and I'm like what (laughs) oh unfortunately that happens a lot um so for our listeners who are like tuning in that if you're going on a hunt you can't expect you can't expect anything as a guarantee um Mm -hmm. even if it's a high fence it's still not a guarantee um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that factor into that. And we, we do see that um, from time to time. For the most part, we have a, an awesome set of women that come out that know that we can't predict the weather. We can't, like, you can do your best, but Mother Nature will always win. They're wild mm-hmm. animals. You can't ever guarantee a harvest. You can't, you know, whether you're fishing, whether you're hunting, nothing is ever a guarantee. Um, but I think that having that positive attitude, like you said, and having the expectation that it's a possibility, but it's not what that is about. Like getting out there and experiencing it and being with that group, like a lot of these women's hunts to me, I would rather go and know that I learned something and meet a whole new group of girls and have an awesome time than have a shit time and kill a whole bunch of birds. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's not in the company you're in. Mm-hmm. It's just not as exhilarating. Like, I don't know. <laughs> okay, like with pheasant hunts too. I love pheasant hunting, okay? I think it is a blast when you're in a tight pitch. But I remember I traveled out to South Dakota and I, this whole time, I thought these pheasants were wild. I <laughs> thought they were absolutely wild. And I was just mind blown when one of the girls was like, yeah, we planted them this morning. I'm like, what do you mean you planted them this morning? And she was like, yeah, you know, like the black special pheasant. I I was the one responsible for planting it. I'm like, huh? (laughs) These are wild. And of course there are wild pheasants out in South Dakota, but it's just, I don't know. It's just people, hunting comes in such a variety of different types of styles and if you come into a mindset that you're going to guarantee to get something you're not going to have a blast like come on like it's just common sense you're you're telling me that you're going with a guide that can get you the most guarantee out of like a hunt they will help you they're called a guide because they're trying to guide you as much as possible but mother nature and the weather and the animal itself they have a mind of their own and people are just like I understand like you get really upset if you don't you're going through this whole hunt and you don't harvest anything but if you have that mentality for every single hunt or fishing trip that you go into well shoot I don't know you should question yourself as an outdoorsman at that point because that's gonna be really really boring and you're going to be really, really disappointed a lot of the time. 
or just the fact that you know cool great you like okay so what about these events where or trips it doesn't have to be an event maybe you set it up privately and went and you go and you get this amazing trophy Mm -hmm. and you get to hang it on your wall but that's all you have to show for it I would rather bring the memories home and the friendships home than what I'm going to hang on my wall or a heavy pile of birds like is it a great time is it exciting when you get to shoot you know the biggest buck or a you hit your limit is it exciting absolutely but it's definitely not a necessity and it definitely should not be an expectation um I think that that's a, a, a really big false hope that social media again massively skews is people think that every time out is you know your limit, whether it's this, you know, 160, 180 class deer that everything's trophy quality, like that's not real life. And yes, some people have the blessings and the opportunities to maybe have that on their private lands or have the access to land to have that type of management, which is awesome. But like the expectations for guides, we're allowed to have shit days too. And I think that that's often overlooked, um, especially with like these events uh, that whether it's women putting it on, whether it's men's groups putting it on, whether it's buddy hunts and you're going out with guides, people are so quick to be like, oh, well, you only got, you know, four birds today. And it's like, yeah, but I had an awesome time and we, you know, made snacks in the blind and we learned about each other and we just had an absolute hoot. I know uh, Megan Lockwood, Holly, and I, and my son, we went to Nebraska recently, and it was a private hunt, like I had won it, and um, we had a day where we didn't have a lot of action. I, I don't know that we even pulled the triggers, and honestly, we had so much fun. Like, it was one of the, it was one of my favorite days of the hunt, and we only left with two birds that day. Like, we had birds from the other days, awesome, but, like, some of my best hunting stories come from very little to no harvest because when there's not a lot going on you get to goof around and you get to you know build that camaraderie a little bit differently than if you're taking it super serious and there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. so I think I think it's all what you're willing to take out of an experience really is I mean shoot birds oh my gosh they're the most unpredictable things in the world (laughs) oh my goodness like I thought deer big game (laughs) is unpredictable man birds are just something else <laughs> yes like, they are they are have, clever they are they're so clever it is it is wild just to see those guides work them in and the moment when you think that they're they're gonna come into you they just swear right out you know i'm like what <laughs> they're more like well, and the, the blind etiquette right like a lot of people when we do like these first-time hunters we explain to them that like you need to keep your heads down that they can see the whites of your eyes a Uh lot of people don't realize how good vision like how well the vision on a bird is whether it's a turkey whether it's you know waterfowl it is it's something that uh, like a blind etiquette has a lot to do with your success rate but gosh they're just uh, to me there's nothing better than a, a I'm a I like geese but there's nothing better than a, a goose cupped up that you have fooled into coming into your spread or like that you're calling that you're the real deal. Like turkeys and geese, I, they just do it for me that that's my preference of, of species to hunt. Um, 
And I, I, I just love the fact of outsmarting. And like you said earlier, the chess game, every animal that you hunt is essentially a chess game, right? Like you're trying to predict their next move. They're trying to figure out yours or, you know, what, what that next step is going to be, or, you know, they went left when you thought they were going to go right. Now I got to figure out a way to get to them. Like it, it a hundred percent is like a chess game and anything that you're hunting. Yeah, people just don't give enough credit to how much you have to fool them in order to bring them in close. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's tasking, but it's fun. And I think that that, to me, that's, I always say that the suffer behind the hunting, like I absolutely love when you're out there and you're just like packing it through the mountains or packing it through the woods and you're putting all this blood, sweat and tear into it. And whether it's the views, whether it's the harvest, whether it's just the experience together, like that it all equates to just a fantastic experience to me that I actually enjoy the suffering. But aside from that, like decoying an animal or calling an animal in and fooling it to get, like, I'm not a long range shooter by any means. It's not something I I do. It's not something I enjoy. Um, I like to get as close as I possibly can to an animal. Like I refuse to shoot a turkey past like 20 yards. Like I, I just have no want or desire like to shoot a turkey at 40 yards. I want them so close that I can feel them gobbling and I can hear it in their chest and I can, you know, hear their feet stomp on the ground. And that's what for me does it. So that whole aspect of hunting, it's going to be what you want it to be. And your success is going to fall where, you know, what you're willing to do in that field. But I think that it's so, I don't know, it's just funny to me that those animals are often thought of like these stupid animals and we're just out there shooting them. And really, there's, like you said, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Like, honestly, for all the people who think like, who are disappointed every time we walk back home empty handed. They're like, oh, well, you know, it's always the people that never hunts <laughs> fish that has a lot to say when you come home empty handed. They're like, oh, how hard is it to catch a fish? Or how how difficult is it to shoot a bird, like a stupid bird? Well, you know what? You should be out in the field at like 3, 3 4 a.m. to set up and then sit and try to work them in. And let me know how it goes. If you get one bird, then I give props. I will give you all the credit in the world. But these birds, oh my gosh, no matter how small the brain is, even a squirrel, for for God's sake, like every time I go squirrel hunting, they never show up. It is the but when most- you're deer hunting, they're there. Oh my gosh. That's why I'm like <laughs> always tempted to bring my 22 while I'm deer hunting. I'm like, man, either one, I'm going to bust a deer or bust a squirrel. I don't know. These squirrels always show up during deer hunt. And then the day when I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm sick of deer. These deers are, <laughs> they're literally going for my run. I can't, I got to take a break from them. I'm going to go squirrel hunting. That's the day when you're just going to see one squirrel out of the four hours that you put it into the woods. That's, and, why, I always, that's why I like bow hunting for deer. Oh yeah. Because yeah. then you don't have to worry about the legalities of what caliber you have out there with you. And you can just keep a field tip with you and when you see those squirrels you can just peg them oh my gosh it's it's crazy <laughs> how close they are they come like oh man and the, it's always this kind of it's always like the fattest squirrel in in the woods that would just like show up in front of you and it starts to like call and I'm like dude what the heck are you doing <laughs> or try to come in your I've had them like climb up into my tree stand with me 
Oh my gosh, yeah, when they climb up all the way and then you see their little like hands. <laughs> like come on. Tail out of the corner of your eye just and they start like chattering at you. Like like are you serious? And sometimes I I mean I've I've thought about it. All the animals that I kill, I'll eat. Mm-hmm. Just like even if they're they are a nuisance, I will still consider eating them. Um but like well squirrels, man, there's been times when I'm out in the deer blind. And I see them so close where I'm like, if I were to shoot them with my broadhead, I feel like all the meat is ruined. <laughs> yeah, that's why I keep field tips um, with me for the, the squirrels and stuff like that. But I mean, quite honestly, depending on the broadhead you're using, it it probably won't do that bad of damage depending on your shot placement. But yeah. and squirrels are one of my favorite eating. Like my squirrel dumplings is my son's favorite meal that I cook. So I'm always for putting squirrels in the in the freezer and and having them. But it it's funny that you're like anytime you're out, you're deer hunting, they're everywhere. You go out squirrel hunting and you can't find them. And it can be like the later that day, like you can go out deer hunting that morning and there, you see nothing but squirrels. So you go switch it up and you go out squirrel hunting and all you see is deer and you don't see a squirrel. Oh my gosh, I know. Squirrel meat is so delicious. Like people don't. People don't really rave about it that much, but oh my goodness. It's so soft, tender, and sweet. And like all they eat is like nuts. So it's just like the like their meat is so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, and a lot of people look at squirrel as like this varmint that they don't want to eat. They're they call them like a tree rat. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're missing out on. Squirrel is fantastic eating. And it's just it's awesome. Uh I don't know if you've seen like our our cookbook and everything, but that's our whole mission for that is to be able to put that kind of material out there for, to open the spectrum of what people are willing to hunt and like consume because most of these outdoors women, that's what they want is they want to be able to participate in a hunt and something that they can consume. So to be able to put and publish something out there like that, to give people an avenue of, yes, you can eat this and here's a great way to cook it. Because you can have it and not know how to cook it, and you can make squirrel takes awful. Just like any other, whether it's store-bought meat or wild game, it is mm-hmm. easy to screw something up if you cook it wrong. But yeah. I tell yeah. people all the time, like, with 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 squirrel, you can almost cook it any way that you would cook chicken. With venison, you can cook it any way that you would cook beef. Like, you just have to have that mindset of what you're cooking and doing it right. Um, and a lot of people will have it cook for them poorly and then it deters them from either wanting to manage and hunt that species or try it again and I always say like come have it in my house because we don't eat store-bought meat we only eat wild game so Mm -hmm. as somebody that for almost two decades now is strictly wild game I promise you I'll cook it in a way that you'll eat it Um, whether it's frog legs whether it's squirrel um, like doesn't matter there's there's a way to cook anything like we have a girl on staff who uh, her her fiance actually made like a pulled groundhog sandwich. Thank goodness. I was like, man, I've never even thought of eating a groundhog. Like I myself have never eaten a groundhog. And I was like, that's, I, now I want to hunt one just because I want to try it. You know, I, so out of all the wild game that I've tried, and Felicia, I mean, like, the day that you bowfished out in Florida, oh my god, tell me if there's any good recipes for a pleco. That was, 
I think out of all the OL games that I've had, even like the weirdest things, like uh, I don't know, I've eaten everything that I've killed, but I think it was the pleco where I can't. Oh shoot, I cannot cook around it at all. I've never, <laughs> I have never eaten one, but I'm sure I can find you a recipe to make it edible. There and it might just be the way like you have to soak something or marinate it or or maybe certain ingredients just don't mix well with a meat. Like people don't equate that kind of um experience into wild game cooking that is something as simple as a seasoning can throw the taste of a meat off. Yeah, yeah. It's uh but that's one I haven't tried. I'm gonna have to look into that one for you. I I honestly, man, that was a tough meat to to swallow. <laughs> like, I mean, I, we went and did bow fishing in Maryland. And this was, you know, I don't know, four years ago now, maybe Um, we did that and we did snakeheads and it was something I hadn't heard of a lot of people eating. And I was like, I have to try it. So I brought it home and I will tell you like snakehead, like I I don't know a lot of people that eat dogfish. We have dogfish here, um, but over on the East Coast, they have snakeheads and it is fantastic. Like my son calls it dragon meat because it almost is like chicken. Like it's not, it's not a fish texture. It's more of like a chicken texture, but he knows it's fish. So he calls it dragon meat. So we make them and we make like little fried nuggets out of it. But like, that's one of those, those fish that it's often overlooked to consume because people relate them to like a sucker and they think that they're nasty eating. I know they're, they're so snakeheads and dogfish. They're pretty, it's a pretty common fish in like Asian cuisine. And so like, I guess those are those are really like prized fish. Even going down in Florida, I remember my husband was like, "Oh my god, look at this snake head! Like it would taste so good on the pan fry." I'm like, "What? <laughs> like I don't know. Like people people can't knock it before they try it. They have to try it first. And... I would say try it, try it twice before you make an, a a decision of what you think of that meat because you could have it one time and it could be cooked improperly." So I always say try something twice before you say you you don't like it or won't eat it. Exactly. Also, like whoever I invite over to my house, I would always tell them because a majority of my friends, they're not they don't eat wild game. They don't hunt or anything. I'm like, hey, every time you go over to my house and I cook, just don't ask what it is. Just eat it. (laughs) And usually they don't even know what it is, but they'll eat it and they'll love it. Like, hey, you're. It's yeah. funny because I, I remember being in college and there was a girl that I was in college with that would not eat venison. Like she just would not eat it. Well, but she would eat beef. So I would, I'm a, a big meat eater. Um, so I would have jerky. So this one time I decided to just kind of test the theory and uh-huh. I put my jerky in like a Jack Link's bag and it was okay. venison jerky and she ate uh-huh. it and she was just mowing it down and she's like, this is the best jerky. Which one is this? She's like, we just ate this last week and it did not taste like this. And I told her, I said, you, you know, that's venison, right? And she's like, I, she couldn't get to a trash can fast enough to spit it out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You just ate half a bag. Don't waste it. Like you... You just, people are visual eaters and like they're emotional eaters that sometimes that association is more what chokes them up than anything. Oh my gosh. I just, it's, it is, it's no different of us killing the animal and then processing ourselves than you buying it store-bought. Like, come on. 
I have family members that will like to this day will not eat wild game. And I don't, I don't force my lifestyle on anyone. So I do like, if my grandma comes over, I will cook store-bought meat for her, but everything else will be served will be wild game. But I will make her something special because I, I value that that's not the way of life that she wants to live. That's not what, like she supports me entirely. Love to hear the adventures that we go on and everything. She supports Women of the Wild. She loves our photos and she watches our YouTube videos, but it's just not her thing. And and to me, that's okay too. And I support that. So I do cater um, depending, but when it's something in a situation where I think somebody's just being bullheaded, I, I have no problem uh, expressing my opinion that I think that they just need to get out of their head and they would actually like it. And I've actually turned some people who thought they would never want to hunt or eat wild game onto it by having them consume it. Yeah. Like they can't, I don't know. I, I, I understand it's kind of like kind of weird if they, tr- they, they're trying a certain animal that they've never tried before. Like I kind of understand like it is kind of scary, you know, but oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember I made this like burger and I made like probably like eight burgers at a time and I wrapped it in tinfoil made it look extra nice it was like tasty venison burger and I left it on the table and my dad he is so 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 against hunting and he's like and you're so cruel for killing these animals I'm like I harvest them for meat but like you're buying store-bought meat where the animal was like penned up for its whole life like I don't know and but he he never came around hunting he never accepted it he never wanted to try wild game super against it and I cooked up this huge batch of hamburgers for my friends to come over and to eat. And I saw that eight burgers, two of them were gone. I didn't know where, where it went. I asked around and I saw my dad eating it. <laughs> and then I was like, how's the burgers? And he's like, where did you get this from? I'm like, uh, from a store? <laughs> like, how is it? He's like, it's not bad. And I'm like, dude, you just ate venison. You just. <laughs> ate deer and you ate two not one burger but two burgers like you cannot you can't say shit now saying that it's like crap or it's you can't support it like you just ate two burgers man and he never wanted to acknowledge me ever like I straight up told him you just ate deer meat I told you it tastes good and he's (laughs) like I didn't know (laughs) like okay well whatever and until this day he doesn't he doesn't eat deer meat whenever I offer it to him but like if I make it and I leave it there he's gonna eat it and not know what it is (laughs) that's funny well that's like um my dad he always he he wouldn't go goose hunting he's like I don't like the way they taste there's no reason for me to shoot one so I told him one year we were down in West Virginia and we were hunting and I said I'm gonna bring goose and I'm gonna cook it and I think you're gonna like it and he's like you I'll try it if you make it I'll try it he said, but I promise you, I'm not going to like it. And I said, okay, we'll see. So last year in, in 2022, I put my goose stew recipe in their cookbook because of my dad. He absolutely would not eat goose again. He had had it several times. Like he, he'll he try it and try it and try it different ways. Mm-hmm. So he had it the way that I cook goose and he couldn't even tell that it was goose. He said that it was almost like uh, like a roast is the way that I make mine, like a roast stew. And he uh-huh. said, if you would have put this in front of me versus beef and told me to tell you which one was goose, I couldn't. Holy cow. <laughs> and I, 
I've had, I've had girls that come on our women of the wild events because we, we do that too. We cook wild game to introduce species that they haven't yet tried or, or something when we, when we cook or um, like when we did the walleye event that you came on, we cook, we had walleye cook for us in several different ways. So you guys could experience it in what we were out harvesting in different ways. I think it's important to showcase that and let these women know that there are multiple ways that you can make these to make them acquired to your taste. Man, that it's, I don't know. It's just, it's definitely, you can get so creative on how to cook while a game because not a lot of people cover it, but man, it is the tastiest kind of meat ever compared to like, you know, your normal chicken and beef and shrimp or or fish. And it's just, people are really are missing out for not trying wild game at all. Oh, 100%. Well, and we are, are exceeded past our typical hour. And I have enjoyed talking to you so much. Um, we're going to have to continue another one of these episodes together because you are an absolute pleasure to talk to. I think that you are a great inspiration for women, for mothers, just an attribute to the outdoors with a good heart. Um, we've loved having you on events. I know you've been on some goose hunts with us. You've been on the walleye event, um, a local Michigan girl, um, which is where Women of the Wild is based out of. And I'll look forward to hopefully having more adventures. And I'm super looking forward to seeing this new baby. When when that little face merges, I can't wait to to see what you do coming forward for the 2024 year. Um, and I know that we're going to have so many more adventures. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I can't wait to see what 2024 holds for more adventures in your family. Yes. I can't wait to join more of the Woman of the Wild trips too. Yes. I know we were already talking about South Africa. So I'm looking forward to 25 with you and your husband and getting a whole group over there and just having an awesome time. Heck yeah, Felicia. It was a pleasure talking to you on this podcast. I know we went a little overboard, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> That is perfectly fine. I've enjoyed every moment. <laughs> well, you and your son have fun at the dance. Make sure he doesn't party too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he just gave me a dirty look. <laughs> well, well yeah, thank you so much. Um, and to our listeners for Women of the Wild, uh, like we discussed with, with eating this wild game, we do have cookbooks still available on the website. It's www.womenofthewild.com. And... We look forward to many more adventures for the 2024 year with all of you ladies. We have new merch coming, so check out the website for that as well. If you want to find Anne, can you tell us where people can follow you on social media? Well, you guys can follow me on Instagram at winoutdoors, N-G-U-Y-E-N, outdoors. And then I'm also on YouTube alongside with TikTok. And I'll be posting more videos and content after baby number two pops out. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> well, thank you, Felicia. And hope you have a great night with you and your son, okay? Thank you, ma'am. You have a great night. Great. Right. Bye.